Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Steve Russell, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. For the past two months, you, the listener, have become accustomed to Andrew Henderson joining us from the U.K., He's busy today, so Steve Ressler, number one, I don't know how you've avoided this hot seat for so long, being good friends. And number two, because people are accustomed to a European accent, excuse me, Andrew, not a European accent, a UK accent, there's a difference between England and Europe. You're going to have to talk with an English accent all day, Steve, just saying. Well, good day, chaps. <laughs> I don't think you I think you missed the English accent. I don't know what that was. <laughs> How are things in central Minnesota? They're good, Trent. Really good. You know, we've uh we've been fortunate here. Um kind of weather's been good and we've been catching some timely rains and, and temperature's been good, so our crop looks really, really good and and life in general has been good in southern Minnesota for us, so uh, it, uh, no, we can't complain here at all. Owatonna is your home address. Fellow hog breeder, also involved in some corn sales. I think we're going to have to talk about corn genetics before we get done. But you're only an hour from Minneapolis. Have you had any spillover? We haven't. It's been been quiet down here. You know, when everything kind of happened, uh, it, you know, there was a little bit of demonstrations in town here and that, but it's been... For the most part, it's been pretty good around here. Um, you know, it's definitely been some unsettling times for everybody around the country, and and uh, not proud to say that some of it started here, but it is what it is, and we'll make uh, we'll make the best of it, and then some change will come of it, and we'll be better on the backside for it. So there you go. There's a glass half full for you. Uh, yeah, be positive. <laughs> you know. Minneapolis got the uh, the limelight right off the bat, but there is no way, shape, or form anybody can believe or say that it started in Minneapolis. This started somewhere in a dark, closed room, and they were just waiting for the place to go make it happen, and it happened to be Minneapolis. That's what happened. No, that's, they definitely took advantage of a situation, and then it's an unfortunate situation that, that happened there, and, and obviously well, everybody will learn more is, as things come out and it goes to trial and that kind of stuff, but it, uh, you're right. I mean, it, uh, it, there's been a lot of unrest out there within communities and, and some justified, some not. And, and it definitely it, it hit a boiling point and that's what it picked. So, so I'd like your take on this because, um, your pig operation is somewhat similar to ours in that you sell show pigs, you sell breeding stock, <clears throat> excuse me, but you also sell, uh, pork, to people who want to buy pigs through custom plants. Do you feel the impact of people wanting to buy direct from the farmer, and do you believe that it will sustain itself? Or will they go back to doing what was convenient? No, I think, uh, you know, we definitely have felt, you know, the change here and, and that. And it's, 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 so we've, like you said, we've marketed hogs multiple ways, and, 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 you know, the pork direct market, we've done that for, a long time, you know, ever since we've had hogs, basically in our local butcher shop, you know, people that want to have the holes, and that's definitely increased lately, um, and there's definitely more demand today for it. Um, obviously, if you, as you've talked before, and most people are aware, you know, the the uh, capacity level of local butcher shops and packing plant, plants 
has been limited. You know, it's been a limiting factor right now, but it, it definitely has been a, a higher demand. We were fortunate through silver lining of this whole deal through a connection and a friend up north. Um, <clears throat> we got kind of hooked up with a grocery store, locally family-owned grocery store, independent in their little town, and luckily they have a couple federal plants close by them, and they have their they have two meat cutters in their store, um, and actually we're taking a, a load up there this weekend or end of the week here for them again. And that's been going well. It's been we hit a little slow period here last month and that, but it, it's picking back up. And and the, the neat thing is, is from the owner, she's a, I think second or third generation owner, taken over from her mom and dad. Um, her commitment to it, you know, I mean, she's definitely seen the demand and the want from customers and people from the community that want it. But her commitment to it um, of wanting to provide another source of, of you know a product that's locally sourced can put a face with the name that's you know her big thing and we took our second load up there and i'm you know i said i got to make a point to go in there and shake her hand and thank her and say meet, meet with her but her commitment to providing that to her customer base is the unique part and and definitely saw her commitment to that long term uh so that that's the neat part so i, I think it is going to be uh i think it's going to be a change that lasts a while will it maybe go back i think this is to be a two to three year run but i think if we establish ourselves and as you have, and, you know, we keep that product, but I think it can be a long-term deal. But uh, always, I think, when things get, you know, easier, people do go tend to go back to their habits and go back to what's what's maybe the easiest at times. So, But I, I definitely do see this uh, being sustainable for quite a while. I know every person who raises animals thinks that the uh, ideal scenario is they find a grocery store and, and run their product through one or two local grocery stores. That's not as easy as it sounds. It sounds like it should be very streamlined, but tip of the hat to you to be able to make that work because you have to find a USDA plant in the middle, and you have to market the whole pig. No, that's, that's right. It, it it does. It thinks about well, it should just be straightforward and and that. Um, but it, it's not. And luckily, so the key thing is that they still had a couple of meat cutters in their in their grocery store that did a lot of the work that way. But it, like I said, you get all the products. You know, you, you sell some of your, your pork chops, your bacon, and, and some of that that's easy, but you have to be able to source or put into, uh, you know, whether it's a sausage or breakfast or whatever it might be, you got to be able to find a way to market all that other mm-hmm. product within that hog and utilize it. And that's what we're always very good at is utilizing it, but you, you need to be able to move it off the shelf. And, and you still got to remember it's, it's the business aspect of it where, you know, it's shelf space, which is dollars for them, and, and turnover is dollars. So, um, to get it all to work well together is is the key there, and, and finding that right partner. But it's uh, it's definitely not as easy, and that's what I've always told Jill, my wife, and and now with this is you know it's easy to sell the pork chops and bacon, but we we really we can't afford to buy enough freezers to, to store the rest of the stuff. So we got to make sure we can market that as well or, or utilize it. So. Yeah, uh, it's about time you get a little media attention. We should mention that your uh, lovely wife, Jill, works with Minnesota Pork Producers. Yep, she does. She's actually, today, she's uh, she's helping the other industry, or our, our good friends on the dairy side, uh, with, uh, unfortunately, as, as most, with the cancellation of the state fair um, happening. But, uh, you know, the show must go on, as they say, a little bit. So judging of the Princess King of the Milky Way, uh-huh. It is, uh, started last night and is today. Um, so she's helping with the selection of that. And, and she's done that a couple times before, so she's helping out there. But does a great job with that. And, and I, I haven't asked her yet if, <laughs> excuse me, if they'll, uh, what they've done with the butterheads. That's kind of the famous uh, deal at our state fair. Is everybody in the top 12 gets their head carved in a, 
you know, 100-pound block of butter to take home. So hopefully they'll maybe still be able to do that for some of the gals, and, and that it's a pretty unique thing to be able to go up and see and, and witness that. So. Well, it'll be virtual, Steve. Everything's virtual in 2020. You know that, right? True. I, well, maybe they got that in the plan. I'll say that. But that, that, I'm sure they would probably get just as big of a crowd virtual watch, you know, for that as they would otherwise. So, so no, that's, uh, uh, that's for, for sure. For our listeners that are not from Wisconsin or Minnesota, they probably have no clue what you're talking about, Princess K of the Milky Way. We've got a, a dairy ambassador in the making is what we're talking about. Correct. Yep. Yep. So there's a you know host of in primarily girls uh, uh, run for that across the internet. It's a highly coveted you know thing for them, and, and a lot of people. We've had a lot of neighbors that have been a Princess K or a finalist, and that's so it's it's, a, it's got a long tradition in Minnesota. But yeah, they they're the ambassador for the year um, for the dairy industry. There's a lot of schools and do a lot of functions like that, and, and a lot of PR work. So it's it's a really good. Uh, really good thing for young people as a lot of things in our industry and the egg side and that's uh, just to help create spokespeople and, and get them out there and spread the message and the word and and that's so it's, it's it's a really unique thing to <clears throat> to watch and again there's just a lot of rich history in minnesota with that uh, competition so and just one final thing and i got to go to a break they're typically high school aged young ladies correct 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 and that's you know you 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 watch them like, you know, you get to witness this a lot, which is is great. But you watch their uh, their ability to get up in front of a crowd and deliver a speech or talk mm-hmm. and interact, and it's just it's amazing to watch young people that have that talent at that age to be able to do that. Princess Gay of the Milky Way will have the announcement this weekend, and I'm sure butter sculptures virtually by the end of the week. Steve Wrestler, my I guest. I think so. We'll be back with more Rural Route right after this. Now let's talk about uh, Precision Agriculture and the certified Piedmontese system. I've been posting a lot of pictures of my Piedmontese sired calves. You take your cows, really no matter what the makeup is, and you breed them to Lung Creek Cattle Company's Piedmontese bulls, you then qualify for the certified Piedmontese contract. You don't do anything different other than use the Piedmontese genetics. The myostatin gene, which is responsible for tenderness, will be present in your calves. You verify that through Neogen, and then you qualify for that premium. Last year, we got $180 per head. The cows, over market, by the way, over market. This year, the cows that were artificially inseminating those calves are going to be worth $300 over market. Branded beef programs that actually pay dividends. That's certified Piedmontese. Details from Marlon Will at LoneCritCalico.com. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Steve Ressler joining us from Owatonna, somewhere in the area. He might be in DeSmit, South Dakota. You don't know. We'll talk about seed corn in a bit. But while we're talking about youth ambassadors, it would be uh, just criminal for you and I to, to talk about young people and empowering them without mentioning that you've been newly elected to the Team Purebred Advisory Board as president. The new part is the president. Uh, congratulations on that, Team Purebred. The leading Swine Junior Association. <laughs> I say that with all fun, hard intended. Uh Team Purebred is rolling. Things are looking good, Steve. They are. It's uh, it's been really exciting. It's been an exciting year. I mean, I've been been on the board for a year and excited to to help lead the board on, on the adult advisory board as president. But no, I mean, with with Christy Smith, our, our new director there, I mean, she is 
I want to say, you know, grab the bull by the horns, but maybe grab the pig by the tail and and uh, taking this thing and ran with it. Uh, done a really, you know, awesome job, and, and we got great leadership on our board um, and a great youth leadership on our junior board, and that's that's the key to the whole thing. You know, their excitement level and their commitment to to helping us, helping the industry, but also helping the organization and, and all the kids involved with it. So it's it is. There's a we got a full head of steam, and, and there's a lot of a lot of cool things in store for Team Purebred and the junior kids. Yeah, I think Team Purebred is even going to survive, even though we had a Minnesotan named Schwecky as president for the past year. So I think it'll be all okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she did a pretty good job, Haley did there. I mean, Haley is so impressive. <laughs> she she epitomizes, you know, what we're talking about as far as, you know, a, a young gal and a young kid with a lot of poise and confidence and and, and definitely pushes herself and, and pushes others then to, to be involved in a lot of things and then do more. So I was, uh, she, she's at my alma mater at South Dakota State, but she informed me at uh, Des Moines that she was maybe moving south to a, another land grant university, which is good to see something else. So, but no, she, she did a great job this last year in her, in her role and comes from a good family here in Minnesota. So. Yeah, I would give her a hard time because, um, I was interviewing her and in Des Moines at our national event, which was, I think, the first group of 3,000 people that gathered in 2020 after March 1st anywhere in the world. But it beside the point, I said, you know, Haley, you're here and you're doing a great job with this Team Purebred group. But I know for a fact that if there was a white Charlie Heifer somewhere to be shown, you'd leave us in a heartbeat. She said, yes, I would. The next day I saw pictures of her showing a white Charlie Heifer in South Dakota. I was like, she didn't tell me she was actually going to do that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no she she made track she told me her her schedule and that she had to get up to brookings to the junior national for shars there and and uh i know they're been highly competitive there as well and she did a great job but yeah it's uh it's a lot of commitment and then she pulled it off so uh i i just want to follow up on you were talking about uh jill's judging the princess cave the milky way and you and i were just part of a, a committee where seven young people within the team purebred ranks uh, applied for, gave an interview, and then ultimately did a video for two scholarships. And as people so many times shake their head and they say, what's wrong with kids today? That is not the experience that we saw no. with the top end of these high school kids. These are college kids for the most part. Uh, it doesn't matter, 21 and under. There are we could not make a decision with these seven on who were the two that really needed to get it because I mean I mean they're just so impressive they're so worldly they're so well spoken and it was just heart wrenching to say okay it was worse than judging any showmanship I've ever been a part of Steve because all seven of them were worthy and it just come down to find two things. No, and that's that's correct, and that's you know I mean you you step back and you and I thought about those interviews for a while of, of the how powerful they were and how good they were, like you said. And there's a lot of them where I mean if if we would have been on a video chat with them, I would have thought I'd been listening to somebody in their 20s, young 30s, describing a you know their career, right. you know, um, and, and some of the, the things that they've already do. I mean. I know I wasn't thinking some of those things at that age, um, you know. I mean, so kudos to them because it just, you know, their their professionalism already and and their drive and their commitment 
to want to make things better within agriculture and 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 the passion they have to go forward is just is immense. And then they know it was it was it was tough and it was a struggle. And then that's they said showmanship. That showmanship sometimes is my least favorite thing of the day to judge. Um, I got a show coming up this week and one next week to help with and just because you get down to that end and it's, yeah. you know, and they're so good in, in that. And, but that's, that's the cool thing, right? I mean, within, within the community of agriculture and whether it's showing livestock or, or whatever it may be, we're providing a, an outlet for those kids, but we're also fostering an environment for those people to thrive and succeed and, and go out and, and be great contributors to society down the road. And that's the cool part, you know, and, and like I said, we can say whatever we want about young kids, and, and there's everybody has their different struggles and reasons. But uh, here we're providing that that outlet and that resource for them, and it's just amazing. And then, and then they just the talent they have. So, no, it's, it's it's fun to watch and fun to be part of. So it's far too early to say that there is a new trend, but I, I've dedicated quite a bit of time in the past, probably ten years, radio time, just conversation time to what's going on with our young men because the young ladies we've seen this in team purebred for my involvement in whatever's been maybe five years we see it in ffa we see it in local youth groups not just agriculture youth groups the young ladies are driven they're succeeding and they're leaving the young men sit we had one of our two uh that we awarded a scholarship to with team purebred the other day a young man and then last week, Lindsay and I, Steve, we went to uh, Springfield, Missouri. Uh, we were very honored to judge the Ozark Empire Fair. Lindsay and I jointly did. She kind of ran the ship with the showmanship because she's the ultimate showman in our family. We picked a young man, <clears throat> excuse me, in each of the three divisions to win showmanship. I hope, I hope this was not just an anomaly that I hit a week where there's some young men stepping up. I hope that we have... Young men that are tired of getting shown up by these young ladies who are so impressive. We need boys to step up. That's what I'm saying. And maybe it's happening. No, that's correct. And guys are always, you know, maybe more reserved at that age. It's harder for them maybe to step outside of their shell sometimes and, and be a little more, and not you have to be boisterous, but uh, the confidence and, and, and just that, that presence about themselves. And, and I have to be careful because I have uh, – like you, three young daughters. So, you know, um, and I am judging so far, um, even the youngest at one, I don't think any three of them will have any issues of being um, with, uh, maybe it's gen- they're just genetically already poised to, to go out and be assertive, um, which is great. That's what we want. We want, you know, young women and men that are empowered and confident. But but you're right. I mean, there, there has been kind of a trend that way. And 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 the young men out there and the boys need to realize that yeah hey have that confidence come out there and 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 aim to win and do it right so um it's it spread it all around but it is it's just in general it it, it has been a, a trend uh, i've seen that so hard to believe you're talking about that youngest one's almost one already wow where did yeah, that year uh, go yeah, I think, and it's you know, yeah, ten ten days she'll be one, and and that she came as a little bit of a surprise, not not the whole pregnancy, but just when she arrived, uh, um, came about six seven weeks early in that. So 
came a little early, but she, if you've seen her today, you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't notice mm-hmm. it one bit. So it is, the time flies. And last night I was had her on the floor, and she stood there, you know, by herself for about 30, 40 seconds. And I thought, oh, boy, we're going to be walking here before we know it. And then the, then the rules will change again, so... Yeah, and just so people know you live by what you'd say, that one was at watching her dad judge a pig show before she was even 30 days old. Yep, yeah, we had, it was a, <laughs> it was a, we, we were in the, we were in the NICU with her and, and delivered and everything went good and, and, you know, she cried and we could tell everything was healthy and good right away and, and our state fair started, of course, uh, the next day, um, and Jill looked at me later that night, and she said, why don't you grab the two big girls and head to the state fair? And I'm co-chair of the swine committee for 4-H, and I said, are you sure? She said, yep. So I headed up there, and uh, everybody kind of gave me a look, like, what are you doing here? But we had the girls. <laughs> what and are you doing? <laughs> three days later, we came home. We reloaded all their open-class pigs and barrels and headed the two girls up, and Mom made it up to watch them. And then, yeah, a couple weeks later, we're judging the national barrel show, and she's ringside. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's a pretty amazing turn of events how things can go. So, and the wrestler family was recognized for their longtime contribution to. It was a spotted breed, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Grandpa uh, is long, long-time breeder there. Yep. Got to roll. We're halfway through. See wrestler more roll out after this. It's on Netflix. It's called The Stand at Paxton County. It truly shows how challenging it is in today's world to own animals without people trying to steal them. It's about the rights that we have as American citizens are eroding right under our nose. The Stand at Paxton County on Netflix is inspired by a true story from Stark County, North Dakota. I'm curious to see your response after you watch it. Let me know. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Luce. Flying along here on a Tuesday roll route with Steve Wrestler from Owatonna, Minnesota. Uh, you also wear the cap of a, a seed corn guy. And uh, Kelly, ironically, just yesterday morning brought me a chart of who owns all of the seed corn companies. And I pretty much knew this, but when you see it on a chart and you think about all the families that started in a seed corn business and now they're all owned by about four Excluding your company, um, how, how do you put this all into context? What's been going on in the corn genetics of the world? And I don't think that any seed probably is any different than corn, but it just gives us a good picture. No, it, it has, you know, and, and I that chart you referenced there, I'm familiar with that. And it, and even if you look at it from today, five or eight years ago, ten years ago, and you kind of look at that every five years, the the consolidation there, and you look at, too, like we talked about, the, the history of, you mentioned the family that started all those companies, even some larger ones where, where families started and family-owned, they all were, you know, at some point in time, but there's some that have had years and years of history there, um, and, and it's, it's we can say it's it's business, and it's kind of the way it goes, and, and that, um, it is it, it is sad and too bad, too, to, to see that um, consolidation as we go. The neat thing is there are still some independents out there, like like we have Legend Seeds based out of the Smith, South Dakota there. And there's a handful of others, and there's a few others, and there's, and there's been a few more actually kind of coming back around that way. Um, 
you know, and that's the thing. I mean, in the end of the day, it's we're all here to provide the farmer with the, the highest quality and the best seed that we can for their acre and, and, and to produce on their land. So, but um, there definitely has been that change in the industry, and that's been, like I said, that's been going on for a long time. Um, but it definitely has gotten down to it's kind of getting down to a handful in a lot of areas. And walk me through. Of course, I have to correlate everything to cattle or, or pigs. But walk me through how there's basically in the corn business, there's some warehouse in Indiana that, that maintains the grandparent stock. And there's only like four different genetic lines. I don't only have part of the story. That's why I'm asking you. That everybody taps into and then they figure out how to create their hybrid. How does that all work? So, I mean, it's... uh. Both of us probably mentioned biology class, but uh, it's and, and I'm the same way with as you. You and, took a biology class. What what were you <laughs> doing in biology class? That's ridiculous. <laughs> I had two PE classes, no biology. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, but I, I'm similar to you in a lot of my meetings and and within Legend, I, I got to re- kind of relate everything back to hogs or cattle myself, and I use a lot of analysis there. Uh, when I'm at meetings and, and but it relates well to the crowd usually. So so no there you know, we work at, within legend, uh specifically, you know, we work with a lot of breeders out there and, and there's the main four um companies that have a lot of the germplasm, but there are also a lot of independent breeders out there yet, which they're you know, they're kind of the guys behind the curtain, behind the scene. And that's the the cool part, you know, whether it's Illinois Foundation Seed or Thurston's genetics, um SGI, MS Tech, there's all these breeders out there, Dr. Francis Glenn in Michigan, uh, actually, excuse me, in Canada, um, that deals with a lot of leafy and flowery and silage hybrids. So there's a lot of independent breeders out there yet, but there are, there, there's a core base of, of genetics out there, or family lines, um, and, and then we pull off there and the breeders pull out of there, and it's, it's, the last couple of years I've been on the selection committee, and, and now I'm kind of, well, I'll turn them, lead the ground, and also, uh, corn product manager, inter, interim, hopefully here for right now. But it, but it's been a unique world, kind of opened up to myself. And it's, you know, we get into there, and it's all pedigrees, and that's stuff that you and I deal with every day, whether it's on the, on the cattle side or the hog side. And, and and we talked about what it's interesting when we talked to the plant breeders, you know, well, the female brings this and the male side brings this. So it, it correlates really well to the live side because it's all the same, right? You know, we know in our sow lines that this female line is going to bring this trait and this boar line is going to, or sire line is going to bring this trait. So it correlates really well to the plant breeding world. Um, pedigrees can get a little more extensive, you know, sometimes. Um, but there are still, you can find a lot of predominant lines out there that get crossed and used for hybrids. Um, so it's, it's a unique world yet. Um, like I said, there's a lot of breeding going on yet. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, corn is corn, but if anybody that's been involved with farming or raising crops, know when they see the advancements in yield that we've had and, and roots and stocks and everything else that have gotten better in it. And that's due to better breeding and better selection. So there still is a lot of uh, a lot of different genetics out there. I'm actually going to be at a genetic farm in Iowa here next week, about a week from today, and, and then a few other tours here later after that. But uh, to see some new breeding programs of what some people have going on out there and, and look through what they have and what they have to offer to the industry. So definitely it's, it's like everything else too i mean whether it's like we talked in our in the hog side too we sometimes can get a small genetic pool but i um there has been a resurgence of some independent breeders out there bringing in some new lines and utilizing some old stuff too so it's it's 
that's very promising for the industry because we have to have the diversity, and, and that's a lot when I talk, whether it's, again, related to livestock or crops or farming, you have to have that diversity, whether that's crop rotations or genetics or, or traits, however that is, we have to have that diversity out there. I've told this story so many times, it's maybe old to some people, but <clears throat> to me it just kind of illustrates where we've come just in my lifetime of corn farming. Uh, I don't do, I don't raise any corn, don't want to. I want people to continue to do that so I can feed it to my livestock. My dad was a fantastic dirt farmer. And, uh, 2012, anybody in agriculture knows that Mother Nature reared her ugly head worse than she ever had from a national drought standpoint. And 20, January 2013, I was speaking at the inspirational breakfast at the Iowa Pork Show. And um, at my breakfast table, this gentleman was talking about how bad the corn crop was. This Story County, which Story County must have got hit pretty hard this week with the last night or yesterday with the storm. Anyway, Story County's Ames is in Story County. And he said, it's corn. It was just terrible. We just had the worst year ever. Finally, I said, Ralph, what was your corn yield last year? Well, we only had 150 bushel the acre. And I, I thought that is such a testament to what has been accomplished. Here's a guy railing about how bad his corn crop was in the driest year in the history of the United States from measurable precipitation. And he was still at 150 bushel to the acre. And, and that's really yeah. what's been going on with the resilience of g- corn genetics and how other than wiping it out with a storm, like we're seeing happen this week, uh, these the corn genetics have just been fantastic. No, it, it has, and it's and that's yeah, we can attribute that to a lot of things, and, and we can also say it how it adversely affects us. Maybe at times we always drive for yield, and 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 there's everything that's got to go into that. But when I started out, and I'm not that old, but I feel like I'm getting there. But when I started out in the on the co-ops at a retail side. Uh, 12, 14 years ago now, 150 bushel of corn was kind of our baseline yet at that time. Uh, you know, it was kind of our benchmark for fertilizer rates or yield goal. And it slowly started, or pretty rapidly actually started to trickle up. You know, and today, I mean, if I was sitting down, I mean, you know, we're going to use 200 as our baseline, um, you know, as far as fertilizer recommendations and our yield goal out there. So, you know, that's, that's the thing, 150 bushels, you know, to what would have been a huge crop, 20 years ago or a very good crop today is is a disaster basically in a lot of mines um you know and if, if you don't hit that 200 mark you know and you know i mean that's that's kind of the standard now for a lot of people and higher in that in a lot of areas so um it is i mean to have that kind of development and and progression through in yield through genetics and breeding has, has been amazing to watch really and what that corn plant can do and and how we can manage it but also basically do that with, you know, pretty much less fertilizer and less inputs, too, um, just because we're being that much more efficient. So, you know, you look at that whole story, that's kind of the amazing part of it, of it through the whole cycle. Yeah, and this week I've also been talking about, I've been doing a lot more driving in the last two weeks, and in my corn farming tours, which, by the way, did not get off the highway, I was saying that corn crop looks better than I ever remembered. I don't think it could look any better from the highway. But it sounds like Mother Nature, who always brings the correction, uh, did some serious damage in central Iowa in the last two days. You, you said before we started 10 million acres of corn may be damaged? That's, that's the initial report that I heard yesterday afternoon that it could be up to 10 million acres of corn. And, 
and that's the thing. I, I was in Southern Illinois a couple weeks ago and Central Missouri here a week ago, and and guys asked me, oh, did you see any bass pond? I said, I saw one bass pond. They go, oh, where was it? I said, well, it was by Waterloo, and it was about the size of four pickups. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> that, that was the extent of it. I mean, the crop looked amazing. Now, they needed moisture through some of that. Down in Central Missouri, they were, as normal, they were they had plenty of moisture down there. But spots, spots needed rain. And, um, and, no, that's the thing. Yesterday I was, you know, you and I both know people through Iowa and have friends down there, so I was kind of watching the radar. We were getting rain, and I went south, and I thought, well, I was going to see if our friends were going to get some rain. And it looked like they were going to, but it looked like a nasty front on it and didn't think it was going to be anywhere near as bad as what it was. But, yeah, I heard that they had uh, sustained straight-line winds at 100 miles an hour and even radar indicated of 140 miles an hour. Um, and when you see some of the damage, it's just, it's heart-wrenching really to look at. I mean, you don't wish that upon anybody ever. Um, and across that big of an area, but they have 10 million acres of corn flat. They sent me some pictures, and I mean, it is just totally flat. And, well, and it's just... That, no, that like plus it. the on-farm storage, it looks to me like we eliminated yeah. 3 million or more bushels of storage on farms because every grain bin looks like it's in a little puddle. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, and I would, I mean, I would say it's, tenfold that probably on storage side of it so it's, right um you know we've had local stuff when tornadoes have come through but you know and that's bad but it, it's, it's a much smaller area typically um but knowing that to hear that it just it's said it's, i was looking at the pictures last night i mean i was just kind of getting sick from looking at it right because it, you, just, you look at people's lives that are impacted and then if and we both know if there's ever a community that'll persevere over it it's the farming community um you know, and then I honestly wanted to go down and help them last night, but due to some scheduling, I couldn't get down there tonight. But, you know, I mean, it's people will rally around and, and help them pick up the mess in that. But, uh, you know, you look at the destruction of the crop, and especially when it looks so good, um, that, is, that is just devastating for them. So hopefully it will turn out all right. And, I mean, there there's some insurance there, but it's never enough. It's And, it's, and that's never what a farmer wants to we all buy it, but it's never. We never want to use it. We want to harvest our crop and and manage it the way we want to take care of it. So it's not good. So we wish them the best down there. So that's going to be hard to get through. Steve Wrestler, my guess we've got one segment of Roll Rot left. We'll do it right after this. I hope you caught the conversation yesterday with Craig Watson, cattleman from Texas, utilizing the Neogen Identity Test for particularly docility, stability, and all of the eating quality traits, ribeye size, marbling, things like that. Identity is all about looking under the skin of the cattle. used to be that we would do performance testing and wait and see how bulls turned out. Now at birth, we can do some DNA testing and get a pretty good idea on what genetics and genomics are going to make an impact in the next generation. Craig Watson, by the way, doesn't calve a cow. He buys heifers, does the identity test, and then sells bred heifers to folks each and every year. More details about how you too can shine a future. Shine a light on your genetic future at Neogen.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Luce alongside Steve Ressler joining us from Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota State Fair not happening, but you have some livestock shows around the state to create opportunities for young people. We do. We're, uh, you know, a lot of people have rallied together and as they have in other areas too around this country. And, and, uh, I, I seen a comment the other day from a person we both know of 
with uh, a diehard uh, college football fan, and he said, well, all we need is some stock guys to get together and what, we can have a college football season. So and that's, <laughs> that's been the resilience of the industry here. But, no, we do. We got a Minnesota Youth Livestock Expo coming up next week um, down in southwestern Minnesota. We kind of spread out between two counties there just for space-wise and then spread everybody out a little bit. But uh, we got I, I sit on the committee there for the hog side and on the exec committee, and, and actually we had uh, – Huge number of hogs come in, uh, about 800 head of hogs, you know, just 800 head of hogs, and, and probably being our first year and trying to get an online system going for entry, it was probably more than that to it sometimes. Um, and then we do have another hog show after that. Uh, Justin Morris is doing the Minnesota Junior Barrel Classic, which he's done for, I think, 10 or 11 years, always at the State Fair during open class. Mm-hmm. Um, and his entries closed last night, I know, and, and uh, I have every – feeling that one's going to be just as huge or if not larger on the hog number side. So it's, you know, kids want to get out and show, and, you know, we're providing them an opportunity to do that yet and, and for most all the species here. So it's, it's been good and um, definitely looking forward to those two shows because I think they're going to be going to be large. And, and I think, like I said, families and kids are definitely looking for an opportunity to be able to get out and do that. I heard of a jackpot. Uh, there was a goat, I think it was goat, cattle, and sheep uh, kind of north of here. Douglas County, they usually get 100 and a half, 150 head, I heard, and I talked to a guy that had been up there with some lambs, and uh, he said, you know, they usually get 150 head there. He said there were 700 head there those mm. two days of livestock. Yeah. So, That'll so, challenge your infrastructure. That that will, and I'm sure whoever signed on to judge that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, told them, you know, it's, if we get this many head there and showed up, right. Right, they had their work cut out for them, but, which is good. That's, that's good. I mean, that's if you're going to be there, you'd rather sort through a, a pile of them and a good set of them. So, this extends beyond the agricultural community. What I'm about to say, but 2020 is a game changer, and that sounds like you know, well, who can't say that? But we had fallen into normal daily routines, whatever that may be, whether you're in, in agriculture, whether you're college athletics. I mean, look, Scott Frost yesterday after the Big Ten, Scott Frost, the Nebraska football coach. After the Big Ten says they're going to cancel the season, he said, we're going to play football. We're going to find somebody that wants to play us. And the governor sent out a note or a Facebook post saying, let's play football. We're going to create a new football season, even though the Big Ten cancels the football season. Greg Lear, mutual friend of your and mine from Clay County, Iowa, came up to me when we were in Des Moines with his dauber down and saying, oh, they canceled the Clay County Fair and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? Go create your own. He called me last week and he said, I just want to let you know I took your challenge. We're going to have the Clay County shootout. Oh, I think he calls it Little Denver or something. Uh, yep. doesn't matter what he calls it. He, he, he's going to have it. He's, he's, doesn't care what the establishment's doing. He's going to create something. And I think everybody has learned in 2020, we don't need to wait on the establishment. We just go find a way to make something that creates opportunities, particularly for kids, or whether it's football or whether you're doing monster trucks. It doesn't matter. You find a way to make it happen. No, you're right. And that, and that just proves the point of the resiliency of, of, of the American population for the most part. If, of, if you want to do it, you go do it and you find a way to do it. And, and there's been multiple stories of that throughout the year. And you're right. I mean, this it's going to change things, whether good or bad, but it's going to change it for long term. And and people are going to question the norm of do we need this to have this or do do we have to have that to do it or do we just go, like I said, do we just go do it on our own and then make it happen um, and still provide those opportunities for people that want to do those activities because there, there's 
like you and I would agree, probably there's no reason why we can't do a lot of this stuff um, or should be doing it. You know, and I think um, I'm not a huge college football guy, but I think uh, I think his first name Trevor. He was the state released here yesterday about how we're actually going to provide more of a disservice to these college athletes by not allowing them to have sports because we're not creating that safe haven that so many of them need mm-hmm. and the structure that they need. So it was it was really well said what he put out there, and I I can't remember verbatim, but um, but he's right. I mean, we sometimes by providing this stuff and doing it, we still provide that structure and some of the, the guidelines around it in that safe environment where if we don't provide it, you know, things that maybe aren't so good can happen too. So I think we really need to look at how we, how we proceed forward and yeah. with activities and, and, and go, you know, for the future on it. If in fact we have somebody like University of Nebraska, and I can only speak to that because that's what I'm hearing. I'm assuming other other states and land grants and colleges, Division ones, are saying the same thing. But if in fact we have a Division one college athletic program that's going to say, "Okay, you're not going to have a Big Ten conference. We're going to create our own games," and they go about it their own way, that to me will be like a whole new level of just finding a way to be a part of making something. Yeah. I, I really, and I, so I heard that on the radio this morning, I'm driving out to do chores here with Scott Frost, and I, I, I think he should just come up, you know, and you just got to go one state north, and um, the Jackrabbits, I'm sure, will welcome him in, so. Yeah, I don't think we want to get beat by South Dakota <laughs> State. <laughs> well, at least you said it right, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, we're going to find high school teams and stuff, cause, so we can so we can get back to a 10-game winning season. Yep, yep. Yeah, we're not going to play the Bison either. Well, I, I wasn't well, and that brings up you know not so fond memories either. So I wasn't going to bring them up. So. <laughs> oh, did you want to talk about ESPN Game Day last year? Is that what you wanted to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't pay. I mean, I I'm kind of sitting here thinking these professional athletes are getting what they deserve. I, I think they've just. I guess I can't say what I think they've done. <laughs> <laughs> legally but they've uh, they brought about their own demise college athletics i think is a different deal and uh we need to find a way to create those opportunities there's just no doubt about it no it is and, and you know and it's with whether it's athletics or anything i mean the dollar drives a lot of it right and, and we all get that that it makes the world go around to a point but I think if, if there's a positive that needs to come out of this, and, and we, you know, I saw, and I think a lot of people saw it right when some of the lockdowns happened and that, you know, in the community of just families getting together, going out for a walk, more interaction, being unplugged a little more, and, and you take that into whether it's athletics or any of this. I think when we step back, we got to look at why did, you know, when this when these things started, what was the main point of starting all of this, whether it's football or mm-hmm. shows or whatever it might be, and it's most time it's for the greater good of the people or the greater good of the kid or there's a teaching opportunity there or something or a lesson to be learned, whether it's football or sports and the camaraderie that you have with your teammates and the brotherhood or sisterhood that you gain and the bonds you have there. Let's get back to some of the fundamentals of, of why we need to do this stuff and, and the true meaning behind it, I think, is the key part of it. And we lose sight of that so much because of whether it's greed or business. You know, and I get it. we got to have the business side to make it go around but let's get back to the true true means of some of this stuff and i think we'll be better off for it i contend that the kids high school kids that just talked about hating school 
in the last six months have decided that, hey, I kind of miss school. Yeah. <laughs> and they're ready yeah, to get back and the routine into their friends and, and doing what's really important. And I agree with you 100%. Get back to the origins of why we do these things. No, we gotta, we gotta keep that focus and get that in, get in, get in focus on that better and, and, and that will, that'll be the best thing to come out of this. Yeah. All right. So what's your crystal ball? We have three minutes left, Steve, just so you know. Where do you think we're going? In agriculture? I don't know. I threw it out there. I wanted to see what you latched on to. I, it's a broad question. Should have been, should have been thinking about that one more. I'm trying um, to get you to be a big picture thinker. Yeah, so I mean, I think in you know life. I mean, I I want. I, I mean, I am. I, I'm gonna be better. Um, you know, and and just with all the unsettlement, whether it's distractions from COVID, politics, everything. I think that's the key. Get back to the basics, you know, and and the fundamentals, and you know, and especially the political season upon us of why do we truly do these things is to help people to make things better. So I think, you know, if, if people can rally around that and put their, their, their own thoughts and, and ideals aside, I think we'll be better off. And, and just I think we got to look at the greater good. What's, what's best for everybody in your community. And it's got to start at home. What's best for your home and your family and your community. You know, it's got to start there. And, and so I, I'm pretty positive that things are going to get better. And, and I and I've told this before, not a, not on your radio show, obviously, but you know, an old boy once I was emceeing the Minnesota Livestock Hall of Fame inductees a few years back, and, and the Fredericksons, great Hereford breeders, were getting inducted. They live in South Dakota now, and originally from Minnesota. And, and the guy that was introducing them said a, said something that will stick with me till till the day I die. And he said, you know, if, if you put your industry first, and he was thinking, you know, he was coming from the cow side, but he said, if you put your industry first, your breed second and yourself third, things will work out. And, and I think if we take that forward, you know, and I try and remind myself of that daily almost of, you know, and, and you can correlate that, you know, I mean, for you and I in a purebred side, it, it definitely makes sense. You know, we put our industry first, the swine industry, put our breed second, you know, the spots, our primary breed, and ourself third, and things will work out. But you can, you can put that to anything in life that you want. You know, you can put your community first, your family second, and yourself third, however that fits. But I think if we have that mindset going forward, that, that'll lead to the change that we want and, and be the positive change that we need. So I think we just got to get back to, to some of that and looking at the greater good and, and, and what's going to benefit the most and, and, and help us prosper into the future of the best. Jim Wolf is most happy that Fredrickson's moved to South Dakota because he utilizes <laughs> their place extremely well. Yeah. That'll do it. We have Jim called me last week, by the way. I hadn't heard from him in a while. They're working on a Labor Day project with the local Farm Bureau, and I agree with Steve Ressler 100%. There, We have the opportunity now to move away from – we have a paradigm shift. I think that's what it's legally called, a paradigm shift. You can sit there and allow the paradigm to shift without you, or you can be a local driver and make it happen. That's what we're talking about. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Steve and I both remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route somewhere in Minnesota. The Piedmontese cattle do not look like most other U.S. breeds, although my friend Jerry Hofer says that the Piedmontese cattle have been Americanized. The breed is based out of Italy. 
We have American breeders that have really focused on performance traits. Our calving ease has been fantastic in two years. The growth rate is incredible. I love the look of the calves. On our limousine cows, they are tremendous calves, but what matters most is they possess the myostatin gene. That means the beef will be tender. The future of the food business is all about supplying a specific quality to the consumer, and in this case, Lone Creek has mastered the tenderness aspect in large numbers. All we need is you to be a part of the system. If you're interested in getting paid more for the value of the beef that you produce, call Marlon Will, LoneCreekCattleCo.com.